Hello and welcome to episode 13 of From the Wastes. Today's guest is Phantom Dark Dave. He and I will be discussing the 1979 film Mad Max, the one that started it all. Welcome to the Waste, Dave. How you doing this morning? Evan, man, uh, I'm just really happy to be here right now. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's about time I've had you on my show, isn't it? Well, you know, it's cool because we all came together to do a Trek talk, and then now we get to solo, make some uh, independent appearances and steal the spotlight, if you will. And I'm honored to uh, be involved with a movie that's kind of been a bucket list movie for me. Let's start off with, uh, tell everybody about yourself. Yeah, man. So uh, as mentioned, you know, you and I have been buds for about three or four years, which has been pretty much my lifespan of how long I've been on Twitter. And so for anybody who's not familiar with me, I'm Phantom Dark Dave. I've been involved in multiple podcasts out there and my loves in life are, are very simple. And for the longest of times, they've evolved around film. And it seemed more as time progresses, I have been obsessed with classic film. And when I say classic film, I mean like really like classic film. I mean, silent film and then, you know, universal movie monsters and everything, you know, radiation monsters of the 50s, but also things like Casablanca and all that great stuff. And there was a time period in the 70s where you have some of these cult classic films. And there's a lot of them that if they didn't fit my genre, I didn't watch it. And so I know I mentioned, oh, I like all kinds of things. Well, Mad Max is a movie that it's like I always knew about it, but I wasn't sure if it was for me. But with our friendship and knowing how much you're into dystopian and post-apocalyptic things, and I love your podcast. And when you cast me this uh, invite to come do this, it was something that's like, man, I'm finally going to get to watch these movies. And so being somebody that's like, I'm known as a movie lover. And so there's certain movies I can't just always say, oh, I've never seen it or I'm never going to watch that. It's like, if you love movies, man, you need to see the bullet points of every genre. And Mad Max has always been one of those. And I'm happy to say that uh, I'm here to talk about it with you, man. And that's why I thought you'd be the perfect person to have um, on this episode for Mad Max because you, you, you love movies. And <clears throat> and when I found out that you hadn't seen any of the Mad Max films, I thought there's literally not a better person to talk about uh, these movies with um, and I wanted to get a fresh perspective from from somebody who who loves movies and who's very knowledgeable in uh, with the process and and that sort of thing um, well let's go ahead and get started and uh, today we're going to be discussing the original Mad Max film from 1979 the one that started it all tomorrow in a world gone mad <laughs> 
only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner, and he's not walking out that door. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Max is a cop, one of the best. Where does they're out to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, no man trash. Mm. Well, I'll add it to my thread collection. <laughs> you made the news again. Charges relating to the slaying of a main force patrol officer. Who was he? In a road just another glory roader, I guess. Toe Cutter is a glory roader, one of the most sadistic. Anything I say, anything you say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. <gasps> I want my baby. You've not got a sense of humor. Please, don't hurt my baby. You've got a pretty face, though. Both want the other dead. But only one can have his way. Mad Max. You don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets even. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future. Okay, now, Dave, I hadn't seen Mad Max until after I'd already seen The Road Warrior. And I distinctly remember thinking, this isn't like The Road Warrior at all. And... I remember when I first when I first saw it, I didn't really care for it that much. I mean, I was pretty young, um, but I was so used to what the Road Warrior was, and so when I saw this, I was like, "Well, where's the guys with the mohawks and the you know and all this sort of stuff?" And it probably wouldn't be around until um, like 1999 or so uh, that I'd finally get to see the film in the original Australian with the original Australian. Um, actors voices and up to that time it had been dubbed uh with american voices and i think it was because they felt that uh the americans weren't going to understand some of the slang and and so it was a real shock to to hear it as it was intended have you have you uh watched it with the american dubbing or did you have you just watched the australian version i watched this movie on voodoo and I've watched it on Netflix. I'd seen it about four times now. So I like to think I'm decently versed in this movie. But it, some of the slang terms like, oi, when they come out, I don't know if the American actors would have dubbed that over mm -hmm. or not. But I did catch, in a sense, sometimes um, what I believe was Mel Gibson's voice in, in the main character role. I mean, he sounded a little younger mm -hmm. and everything, but I just... I would like to believe it was the original, but now you got me guessing. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently the only original voice in the movie is uh, the woman uh, that's singing uh, later on in the film. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then when they Americanized the voices, when they dubbed them, the, you know, Fifi's voice was made very um, more, more deep and, and kind of throaty. 
and uh, Bubba Zanetti's voice was com- was completely different. Uh, the Toe Cutter's voice is the one that surprised me the most because in in the American dubbed version, it's very kind of raspy and deep, and in in the Australian version, it's it's not, you know, and um, and also uh, Hugh Keysburn would throughout the movie he would kind of change his accent i think he changed it two or three times and it was just i don't recall the reasoning behind it but it's just something he did because i i he's kind of an odd duck you know i think he's pretty cool actor but i think i don't i don't know how different he is in real life than some of the characters he plays (laughs) um he's kind of one of those you know when you watch him act you're like i think he's kind of like this in real life not like toe cutter. I, I mean, that's I method acting, right? We'll just go with that. Right. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, well, now technically, as far as the film's concerned, it's not post-apocalyptic. It's the the world is just kind of starting to break. There's been um, wars in the Middle East, and the, the gas is starting to slow down quite a bit. Uh, gangs are starting to take over the highways, and the you know the MHP is kind of this last bastion of um, of, uh, of law and order in, in Australia. We don't know what's kind of, we kind of don't know what's going on elsewhere in the world. Uh, but we know that here in Australia, you know, you still have, you know, towns and cities and people walking around. And so go ahead and, uh, tell me about what are your first impressions of the film so far with this opening scene, chasing down the Knight Rider. Huh? <laughs> Metal damage. Brain damage, huh? Are you listening, bronze? I am the Night Rider. <laughs> I'm a fuel-injected suicide machine.
so I have always avoided spoilers as much as I can of anything. And so my first look at this movie was just watching the movie itself. And it's funny how you mentioned seeing the road warrior first and your kind of expectation of what you thought maybe this movie is going to be. Cause even though I hadn't seen the trilogy or the reboot or what you have, I had the same expectation. I thought it was going to be this anarchy, you know, uh, cause I'd seen the trailer for the reboot movie and I'm like, that looks bizarre and crazy. And this movie, even though it's crazy in its own right, it took me by surprise. Like instantly the beginning of this movie, the way it takes off, I noticed there's a handful of characters, but it's, there's like nobody out on the road, hardly at all. And I'm trying to grasp the idea of what's happening. And I'm like, okay, they're cops. And everybody is like, are they good cops or bad cops? I don't really know, but I can definitely see who the bad guy is in this. And yeah, he calls himself Knight Rider. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And he's, he's crazy, man. He's bizarre as all get out. And he's full of octane energy and they're flying down the road. And I remember thinking like, is this like a twisted metal movie right now? I don't know what we're getting with some demolition going on. And I was, it's so different than the way we, kind of consider a police chase now or what we would see locally right right and just everybody's so animated and i I don't know man like it's a slow scene that steadily builds and it builds tension really good because throughout the course of the scene it seems like everything is up in the ante like the cruiser gets crashed but don't don't worry it can still run we're going to keep going after this guy and then it gets to a point where now civilians are kind of getting on the road and i gotta say for a first time watch, not knowing what to expect, there are so many things that I didn't think it was going to go there, and it definitely went there. Yeah, you know, and every time I watch it, it seems like I pick up on something new. And when you're when you're listening to the MHP dispatch chatter over the radios uh, in the beginning, there you you get this sense that, um, you know, they're they're trying to. They're trying to let the let let the cops know that okay you, you you need to catch this guy and you need to do what you need to do but they're also kind of almost trying to rein them in and make sure that that they're not doing anything that casts a bad light on the police force um, because I think you know you get the sense that people don't think very highly of the police force and you know. And so you get these guys, um, you know, that are out there, you know, risking their lives and taking these bad guys down and kind of nobody cares, you know? And so, uh, I don't know if you plan on ever watching it again, but (laughs) I don't, I don't know how many dozens of times I've watched it and I still pick up on, I, I had the subtitles on. And so the subtitles was, was telling me what all this chatter was, what they were saying, what the dispatcher was saying. And it was really fascinating. Um, Same here. I, uh, I watch everything with subtitles and I've seen that throughout time too. No matter what I watch, you're going to hear things that maybe you thought you shouldn't have heard before, but right. it adds so much volume to the scene. And I got to tell you that when I was watching this, I immediately was able to find my favorite character. Oh, are you going to, are you going to tell me now? Or are you going to, you're going to make me wait? It's the goose, man. Oh, the goose. Yeah. Yeah. I love the goose. And the way that you said that it looks like the world doesn't really care much about the police force or think much about the local police force and what they're doing, Mm -hmm. but it seems like they like them as individuals and goose being the prime (laughs) just go to when he's sitting in the diner and we could see like, Oh, you better go get him, goose. And goose comes running out and hopping on his motorcycle bike, which I found kind of bizarre. 
I'm like, oh, we got the cars and the motorcycles and we got tow trucks over here. And I don't know, man, to be brutally honest, I, the more I watch it, I just see that it's a well-crafted scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a scene that ultimately ends with the Knight Rider, you know, getting killed. And, um, I, I found out that that, that for the, the crash sequence for that scene lasted, it lasts four seconds and it took four days to film that. And I thought, man, you and I aren't filmmakers. No. And so we look at it from an outside lens and we're yeah. thinking the that is some serious dedication to spend four days just trying to get the perfect yeah. four seconds. But I think you and I are on the same page when we would agree that that it was beautifully shot, like the angles they went with the destruction that they were able to capture. Mm-hmm. It just, man, I, every time I look at it, it just looks like something that would be filmed today. So after that scene, we're taken to Max's, house and his family his wife and his son and this really so i remember this surprising me uh when i watched it the first time i was i thought you know because i had seen the second movie and I, I knew nothing about his past and then all of a sudden you find out you know he was married he had a wife he had a kid they lived in a nice place they're on the beach i mean you know um do you have any thoughts on this at all um watching it for the first time and not seeing any of the other movies for me, it was a curveball because I guess I had built up this expectation of what Mad Max was going to be. And even though it started out in a certain direction in the beginning, I'm like, oh, don't worry, we're going to get there. And then just like you said, I was blown back to see that he was this family man and he had just a normal, subtle type life. And I mean, I just didn't expect this character to have much compassion as far as even just to be a parent, <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. just, yeah, getting a look into what his everyday life might be, seeing that, I guess it's like a cop force, right? When, you know, this, you yeah. never know what they're going to face out there, but when yeah. they come home, it's just as normal as you and I. Yeah. So then we go to the, the, the garage scene where we get to finally see the black on black, the last of the V8s, the Interceptor. Take it in the guts, Barry. <laughs> What did you think about this scene? I was kind of thinking, okay, yay, finally, this is what I was expecting because the vehicles in the beginning were not that impressive. And I was just like, okay, you know, standard issued police vehicles. This Maybe he just gets the car later. Maybe I'm making this up. And then we see it in the garage. And it, it's like a perfect way to introduce the vehicle because you see it with the hood up, you know, he's revving the engine and everything. And 
we start to realize it's like lighting up his eyes. Like he is in love with this car. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pure bait. All it is is bait because they, they will do any, they'll do anything to keep Max on the force. He's the best cop they have. And so they're going to use this car to try to, you know, keep him around. Um, so then we move on to, uh, the train station, the train depot with Toe Cutter and Bubba Zanetti and, and the rest of the crew. It must be your friend over there. I didn't leave much of him. Must have cut his heart out, eh? Yes. That's what I meant. Poor bastard. The Knight Rider. That is his name. The Knight Rider. The Knight Rider. Remember him when you look at the night sky. I will. Take your hat off. Anything you say? Anything I say. What a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. Baba. Johnny. What did you think of of these guys? What do you think of Toe Cutter? Toe Cutter's awesome, and I think the more I watch it, the more I like him as a character because he has a certain look. And there's some other guys in the motorcycle gang that could potentially look like they'd be the boss, but when he starts talking, you could just see that he captivates no matter where he's at, and everybody kind of bows to whatever he beckons. And I don't know much about the actor who played Toe Cutter outside of this movie, but I have to think he was brilliantly cast because, as we'll get into later in the movie, he is a great villain. Well, you know, he was in a movie, and I don't remember how far or how long before Mad Max came out, but it was about a motorcycle gang. And I think I think he was the head of the motorcycle gang. And I always kind of think that, that movie is almost kind of a prequel to Mad Max because, you know, he's the head of a motorcycle gang and then, you know, things start going to crap and, you know, naturally he would. Um, uh, what did you think? Uh, it's it's a very powerful scene. You know, they're coming to visit what remains of the Knight Rider. And, uh, you know, it shows just how much the Knight Rider meant to, to Toe Cutter. What did you think of Bubba, Bubba Zanetti, his, his kind of right hand, his lieutenant? He definitely carries a lot of anger. I feel when I watch it, I can see Toe Cutter bounce around. He can be on level with you and immediately go from zero to a hundred and in go zany. But with mm -hmm. Bubba, you can tell like if something needs to get done, Bubba's the one he's always going to rely on. So he's a good right hand man for what he is, but he's a hard character to break down because Throughout the course of the movie, as we see much of here, 
it seems like he doesn't have a big sense of humor. <laughs> no, no. He's actually my he's actually my favorite bad guy. I like him as much as I love Toe Cutter. Bubba Zanetti, I think, is the dude is psycho. And but he's psycho in a way he's just cool, calm, never raises his voice, never lets his emotions get away from him. And uh he yeah, he's literally the best lieutenant second hand guy you could possibly ask for, I think. Yeah. He seems loyal to Toe Cutter for sure. Yeah. Um let's talk about Johnny the Boy. Johnny the Boy. Um, Do we have to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After the the gang attack on the car that leaves the town, um, to, uh, Johnny the Boy, he's played by a, an actor named Tim Burns, um, <clears throat> he seems to come across as kind of a, an, an initiate, you know, in the gang. He's kind of new, I would think. Um, he's just really pathetic and, and childlike, I guess, ignorant. And he's always trying to impress Toe Cutter. What 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 do you think? Uh, let's let's talk about the scene where Toe Cutter and them um, are at the uh, are at the beach. I'm on fire! I'm on fire! The reality oh, is the game of children. She's mad. I should have been a sergeant with these hands. I got. Get out of there, Candelini. Put her against the post. We have a problem here. She is not what she seems. Baba Zanetti has it on good authority. She's sent by the bronze, full of treachery. The bronze take our pride. You gotta do it big! You just don't have the style, do you? Chicken shit. Everything that's led up to the beach has been pretty interesting. Just the small little town that we get introduced to, to seeing how Toe Cutter, he really does care about each and every one of his members of the group. Like everybody seems to have their place. Mm-hmm. And when I'm looking at Johnny Boy, I, I, you perfectly described him. I mean, he's whiny. He seems like, why would anybody have faith in him? And you can see, especially at the beach scene too, that people are saying, you know, he's not the next night Rider. Like he's not what you're looking for. So we realize he's trying to replace a member of his crew. And even at the beach scene, it's so intense because each and every member of the group is so crazy. You never really know what they're going to do. They're very unpredictable. So much so where this scene where 
toe cutter takes Johnny the boy out into the water. And that's when I immediately picked up on what you were saying about the whole being an initiative is like, okay, you're going to, if you want to ride with toe cutter, you got to prove yourself. And I guess Evan proving yourself means you got to put this gun in your mouth. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if, if going to water was a, like a punishment, you know, cause you know, Bubba sits there and says, goes to water on a dummy, you know, after Johnny the boy had shot that mannequin. And so I thought, oh, shit, Johnny the boy is in big trouble here. And, um, but then, you know, Toe Cutter leads him out of the water and shoves the double barrel shotgun into his mouth and, uh, you know, just tells him to keep his sweet, sweet mouth shut, you know. But then he kind of takes Johnny you know, he kind of pulls his head down and kind of almost like, like a father, you know, kind of, kind of hugs him. And then they kind of walk out into the water. It's a really, a couple different things going on there that I'm just not sure exactly what it is, but. Um, I wonder if some sense there's some sort of background reference to like John the Baptist with Jesus when he took him out into the water and you know, you baptize him. So he's like initiate him into the gang. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so, so. Maybe something going on there, but in his own way, of course. <laughs> See, that's why you're the movie guy. That's why I got you on here. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so next scene, we're at the Sugartown Cabaret with Goose and the singer. And uh, like I said before, I think the singer, this is the only voice that uh, was never dubbed in the American version. Um, we see uh, Johnny messing with Goose's bike out in the parking lot. And um, do you have anything... Uh, there isn't really much to this scene it was weird for me because i was like okay we're at a cabaret now and then we go in there and it's just this lady and she's just singing her like 15 seconds of fame and goose is all in man he is smiling and he is toasting at her and i thought this was going to be a warm welcome sequence but then when you see johnny boy outside i just was like no not goose (laughs) please no (laughs) yeah so next morning Goose comes out of the singer's apartment and strolls on out to his motorcycle and gets on and starts taking off. And we're cruising down the road. And uh, did you know, because the, the cameraman was sitting, just sitting behind Goose on the on a motorcycle. And did you see the speedometer? You know, no. you, you can see the Is speedometer it? in the in the kind of the bottom frame of the camera. They're going like 90 miles an hour. You know, and, and there's, I mean, there's no... You know, this is just a dude hanging on to, oh, I can't remember the actor. That's guerrilla filmmaking, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he got his arm around, like his left arm around Goose's waist and the other, you know, he's got the camera in his right hand. They're just filming. And there was a lot of that in this movie. I mean, you know, George Miller, I, I don't understand how there aren't like dozens of deaths in his movies. Right. Well, man, he had a vision and I think he got it on screen because if he wanted to create a movie that was just vigilante in your face, high octane, I mean, it's close as being there as you could get. And I remember even in the beginning of the movie, just the car chases and looking at some of the sped up film and, and things that we see, I'm just thinking even with the Hollywood magic on here, there's no way they're not doing almost 100 miles an hour. They are. Yeah. And yeah. then they are, you know. Um, so all of a sudden his wheel let, lets loose and he gets launched. And uh, by the way, uh, the, the motorcycle gang that they used for this movie was an actual motorcycle gang. 
and they were a lot of the motorcycles were donated by Suzuki. The actual leader of the motorcycle gang was the stunt guy that that did most of Goose's uh, motorcycle riding. Wow, so I thought that was kind of cool. So Goose has his accident, and but he's he's okay. He gets up. He's trying to radio dispatch, and he's got the hand mic in his hand, and the cord is just trailing. It's not even connected to anything. And uh, he's able to get a, a tow truck, sort of a tow truck. I think they call them utes down there. <laughs> and um, and puts his, throws his bike in the back of the truck and, and heading down the road. And uh, looks like he's passing by sort of a quarry type of thing. And all of a sudden you see Johnny the Boy kind of up on the bank uh, of the road and he throws what looks like a, like a brake drum out crashes into the truck's window. Goose flips, the truck flips, rolls and the gang comes up and goose is hanging upside down inside the truck. And you can see gasoline coming down and um, Johnny, the boy is there and toe cutter is there. And we find out that this is Johnny's threshold moment. Light me, Johnny. This is a threshold moment, Johnny. Step through. Tokata, this isn't what I want. Light it. Light it, Johnny. For me. <laughs> the Brahmins. They keep you from being proud. <laughs> Look at him. He looks silly, doesn't he? Upside down. Do it for freedom and the night. I can't! Throw it. No! scene not to kill the suspense but first off that 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 brake drum or whatever that wheel thing that he tossed Mm -hmm. one in a million shot man it goes crashing through the windshield and i was just like (laughs) you lucky sob man but here we go you know goose is flipping over and you see the gas pouring down and you know you're like ah like oh don't go like this you know what i mean so much so that even johnny boy is he's not feeling it, man. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. Like this scene is very emotional because we see goose at his weakest. We see Johnny boy at his weakest and toe cutter never dips a dime, man. Not at all. No. And we, it's at least the second time that, you know, no matter how much Johnny, the boy tries, he is at heart, a chicken shit, you know? And the first time we see it is when they're in the town and he's sitting in that car 
Oh, no, it wasn't in the town. It was after he had messed with Goose's bike, I think. And yeah. he's sitting in the car, and he's got a lighter, and he flicks it on, and he kind of holds it like he's going to kind of burn his arm, you know? And the lighter just gets kind of close to his arm, and he, oh, oh, you know, he, and he, and it, you know, he blows it out, and he, and he's swiping at his arm like it really hurt. And you're, and, and that's when you're like, this guy's just a pogue, man. I mean, he's a, he's a complete chicken shit. Well, when Toe Cutter and Johnny the Boy is standing there, Toe Cutter is, is, you know, he puts a cigarette in his mouth and, and says, light me, Johnny. And so Johnny takes out a cigarette or takes out a, uh, match, lights the match or no, no, he uses his lighter, uses his lighter, lights a cigarette and, uh, and then Toe Cutter hands him a match It says, use this. So he lights the lights the cigarette, blows the match out, and Toe Cutter looks at him and says, "Light another," you know. And then that's when Johnny realizes, "Oh, do wait, 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 wait," you know. <laughs> this isn't what I want, man. This is I, no, 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 no. This isn't what I asked for. And uh, and then Toe Cutter kind of you know says, "Johnny, this is a threshold moment. You know, this is this is Johnny's initiation into the gang. And you know, if Johnny can't do this." then he has no, he, he will not be in this gang. And so they're, no, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. And Toe Cutter finally grabs him by the head and says, you know, he's just like, throw it, you chicken shit. And the match flies out of Johnny's hand and lands in the grass. And we know there that what happened to Goose. Well, and Evan, the crazy thing is, that's how the movie starts is we found out that Knight Rider is in this police vehicle because he killed an officer. Right. right? Yeah. And so throughout the rest of the movie, there's definitely been some bad things, but they haven't killed any other officers. And here we are now, like Johnny has participated in like with that car vandal scene earlier, like there's some bad things happening, but here we are now. And it's like a reminder of, yeah, we've had our fun. We've done some bad things, but don't forget, we hate cops and this is what we're going to do. Right. And you can tell Johnny, he, he's just like, it's like his worst nightmare. You know, he doesn't, he's, and he's terrified of toe cutter, but he doesn't want to let his dad down. Right. Like that, right. that figure, like you talked about. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was a powerful scene to kind of remind the audience, dude, that he's, <laughs> we've seen how bad these people are, but they are the worst of the worst. Yeah. And you just know, just cause of this scene, Johnny can't do it. That no matter what happens, the rest of the movie, He's not going to make it. He's not going to be the next Knight Rider. Right. So next scene, uh, Max shows up at the hospital and he barrels his way past uh, Fifi and Roop and Charlie and the, those guys and um, goes into Goose's room where Goose is underneath plastic or you know something where, where we can't see him. But we know, we, we know he, it's, that this isn't good. And we see his arm... Uh, kind of fall out from the underneath the plastic and max kind of pulls the pulls the sheet back and you don't you don't see what he sees but it just kind of the film does this funny you know dun -dun thing with max's face that lets you know he just saw something really super bad and he leaves and as he's walking down the hallway you know everybody's max max and he's like that thing in there that's not goose what do you think about this this scene here? So, like you said, though we don't see Goose's face, 
the emotion that Mel Gibson's character that Max shows uh, makes us feel like we did. And this scene was like later replicated in that horror movie, The Burning. I don't know if you had a chance to see that. It's an 80s mm-hmm. slasher. So, but uh, similar thing, you know, intensive care unit, burn victim, arm falls out. It's all charred and disgusting. And the reaction just tells us more than we need to know. But what I love about it is how it's like a band of brothers with the officers. They didn't want Max to even come look because they knew that nobody was closer to Goose than he was. And so it's going to hit him the hardest. And then when he sees it, I'm thinking this is going to set us up for like the ultimate revenge plot. And that's necessarily not the case, is it? No, no. You know, I didn't want to fill this episode with like all these little bits of trivia and all this stuff because somebody can just go to Wikipedia you know, go to the Mad Max Wikipedia or the IMDb and look up all the little bits and pieces of stuff. But uh, when I watched it again, uh, preparing for <clears throat> for this episode, I have the DVD set that uh, it was the one that I bought back in I think it was '99, where it was the final. It was the release of the Australian version, and um, and it has a, it's a two CD set, and it ha- and one of them has all the you know behind the scenes stuff and and there's just ones here and there that I thought were really interesting like uh we're going to be introduced into a character uh, later all later on um May Swayze and just this little old lady you know she's this little old aunt or grandma and <clears throat> when you see Goose's arm fall out from under the thing it's actually hers it's it's the actress that played her which I thought was why would they use yeah, it just made no sense to me, and I think it's because like the hand is all gnarled up, and so they maybe you know maybe she has kind of arthritic you know hands or something, sure. and so they wanted to show that. Um, it looks real frail too. Yeah, yeah, it's all kind of thin, and yeah. So Max leaves the hospital. Max needs a break, and he's having nightmares, and he's. Uh, sitting on the beach eating a sandwich trying to get trying to come to grips with you know what's happened to goose and and this just this increasingly violent world that he lives in and max quits Here to discuss it, I came to say. I'm through. Now just a minute. All right, so the goose bought it. But that's the way he always came with the world. Max, you'd be the first to admit it was long overdue. All right, I'll tell you how it is. You're a winner, Max. You're on the top shelf. And I'm not going to lose you because of some crazy notion about quitting. They say people. Don't believe in heroes anymore. Well, damn them! You and me, Max. We're gonna give them back to heroes. Do you really expect me to go for that crap? You gotta admit I sound good there for a minute. Bye, people. So what do you think about this scene? And like I said, Evan, I didn't see this coming. I thought he was gonna put on the shades and go kill everybody that hurt him, hurt Goose, you know, and instead, it's almost like he's finally realized 
um, the world he lives in. It's like a giant wake up call for him. And I originally thought that this was the best thing that could happen for him. Do you think this is the first time that Max has wanted to quit? No, I don't. Um, it seems like when he <laughs> says he's going to quit, his boss doesn't take him too serious. Yeah, he. I, I thought he said something about, like, you know, I mean it this time. You know? uh, yeah. So it sounds like this has happened before, and which makes sense. I mean, they're using the, the V8 interceptor to, you know, they keep having to string him along and, and bait him with candy, you know, to try to, to try to keep him on the force. But Max is, it. this is it. He's done. He's absolutely done. And the problem is that um, he's worried about becoming just like the madman out there, you know, a terminal crazy. And uh, there's a, there's a quote from Nietzsche that's perfectly fitting here that says, you know, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And that's exactly what's happening. You know, Max is, is he's, he's just afraid of becoming that which he's fighting. And um, so Fifi uh, says, you know what, just take a couple weeks, go on vacation, you know, and uh, just take a break. And, and you come and, and, you know, when you come back, you'll be in a better head space and, uh, just, just go decompress. And so we are then going on Max's vacation, which was another, I remember when I first watched this thinking Max is on vacation, they're, <laughs> right. they're driving this. I don't remember what kind of car they're driving, probably some other form of like a Falcon wagon or something, but it's got the airbrushing you know, on the yeah. side of like a planet scape with the rocket or something like you see on vans from the seventies. I honestly thought they rented the vehicle or something. Yeah, And maybe they did. I, I'm not sure, but well, I probably, well, he's working on it at some point he's working in the engine on the engine and, but yeah, you know, he's, he's with his wife and they're, they're going to aunt May's they're going out to the country to take a break. And, uh, you know, Funnily enough, the the shot with Max, you know, they're laying down in the grass and and talking, and it's um that that scene right there is a minute and thirty four seconds long, which is actually the longest continuous shot in the entire movie, is Max laying there talking with his wife. I thought that was kind of that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, then um, Max goes to the grease rat. He goes to the to the junkyard. Um, and tells Jesse to go for some ice cream, and and uh, she runs into Toe Cutter's gang because apparently they like ice cream too. <laughs> <laughs> and do you want to talk about the little altercation between Jesse and uh, yeah, Toe Cutter? man? Um, it's so crazy to one always remember their parents like they have a child named Sprog. That yeah. I've never. I don't know if that's a normal name. I but... think it's kind of a slang word, like like kiddo. Okay. I think it's yeah. It's okay. just kind of a you know. Here's our kiddo. Here's our sprog. Okay. Well, that makes because on the subtitles it says sprog. Yeah. You know? I'm just yeah. like yep. That's that's him. But um, it's unfortunate because you know when watching this scene, even though it is odd for what the movie is, it's kind of nice to see him enjoying life a little bit and being mm -hmm. with his wife and kid and oh you know we're gonna go get ice cream and so. The music they totally sent, changes. Yeah, you, you know, know they get sent off on their own. Yep. Dude, it's just 
you kind of know in your gut, you're like, should they separate? Is this a good idea? <laughs> and it's unfortunate because like you said, you know, they, they went on vacation, they left the area, but yet somehow the motorcycle gang is still around. Right. And when you mentioned um, this place that he goes to and kind of like the junkyard, I immediately thought, well, maybe they just hang out at the junkyard. I mean, they're motorheads, right? So it's just what they do. This, this gang, they, they see Jesse pull up. And she comes out of the little, I don't know, cafe shop, whatever, with her ice cream. And the gang members are, you know, there's one on top of the roof and he's meowing like a cat. And, you know, they're just kind of doing that typical gang dirtbag stuff, creepy stuff. And Toe Cutter comes up to her and, you know, he's trying to, you know, he opens the back door for her, for, for her to put uh, Sprog into. And, uh, comes up to her and asks, you know, can I have some ice cream? And so he goes to lick the ice cream and it's this really just, it's, it's so disgusting the way he licks this ice cream. It's the sexual innuendo is, is off the charts. At which point she knees him in the groin. He falls down face into the ice cream, you know, and she jumps in the car and just takes off. And one of the, one of the gang members, Kundalini, um, has a chain and he throws it and he, and he takes a chain and he kind of wraps it around the, the, um, luggage rack. And all of a sudden he falls down, you know, and it took his hand off. Mm. And that's always been kind of a running joke in, in Mad Max. And, um, she gets back to, to the grease rat, to the, junkyard and tells max get in the car get in the car so then the next scene is they're heading back to may swayze's farm and did you know that the location of this farm has been kept a secret to this day oh really yeah well i guess to the day that this dvd was made (laughs) which was (laughs) which was 20 years ago or whatever now but uh that's where I got all these little things was off the DVD. So through um, the evolution of the, uh, making the film and everything. Right. Always, yeah. They always, they always kept it. They always kept it secret where it is. And, um, Max is working on the car and Jesse takes Sprague down to the beach and everything's kind of, you know, they think, okay, we're okay. We're, we're safe. We're okay. And Jesse takes the dog and Sprague down to the beach. And, um, they don't realize that the toe cutter is still out there and he's looking for revenge and Kundalini's hand. Max and the family head back to, to May Swayze's farm and, uh, they get in touch with, uh, another officer there. And, and it's been rumored that that might've been the dark one because in each, in the beginning you see Max's car and you see his name, Rokotansky. And then you see the dark one, like on Roop and Charlie's car, it has Roop and then it has Charlie. And we don't really know who the dark one was. And so we wonder if maybe this, if this guy was a dark one. I don't know. Um, and they give him the hand and he says, well, you know, someone claims it. Great. If they don't, whatever, you know. <laughs> and uh, so Max decides to work on his car and, and uh, Jesse and Sprague uh, head down to the beach to chill out. And um, this scene, I don't know if you remember... Uh, you know, they get to the beach and all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like fast forward and it's kind of towards the end of the day. And Jesse decides, you know, it's time to go back to the homestead. 
I thought it was really interesting the way the music was and the way they it was it was really creepy because you would just see kind of like a a flash of one of the gang members, but you weren't sure if that's what you were seeing. Right. You know, and um, you can hear screaming and Max and Benno, which is May's son, who um, actually, and you'll see him again in The Road Warrior. And so I can't wait for you to watch that okay. and see if you can see or find out who he played in the well, road war. I know in this scene, he's projected as the most stereotypical country boy. Right. Yeah. He's almost, you know, kind of, kind of special needs. He's kind of just sure. the big, you know, um, just a silly guy. Right. Like, Jesse ends up back at the farm where toe cutter <laughs> and all those guys are sitting there and toe cutter says, well, 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 you know, and, and, you know, Kundalini wants his hand back because um, they have Sprog. They have the they have the kid. Right. And that's, well, that's what it is, because when she gets back and she it's like a two second scene where she's like, ah, and then she's like Sprog. And then she goes running yeah. looking for Sprog. Yeah. yeah. Who's not and the, and the one guy, you know, the one I don't know what his character was, but he, he's holding her, hold, holding Sprog. Mm-hmm. And and he's got a hatchet and he's just kind of thumping it into a stump. Right. You know, to let you know we're going to do something here, you know. Um, and then Aunt May shows up with a shotgun. <laughs> and. Yeah, and she lures them in. Yeah, and Bubba's like, hey, woman. You know, he's trying to. <laughs> and she, boom, she lets go with yeah. both barrels. And I think she hits the door or whatever, misses. And Oh, no, she makes, she, yeah, and she makes all of the gang members go into that stall or, you know, into the yeah. barn. Well, 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 it's our little mother. That there is Kundalini. And Kundalini wants his hand back. I want my baby. Tell you what, I'll swap you. Please, give me my baby. Jesse, Jesse, you've not got a sense of humor. Pretty face, though. Awful pretty. Awful pretty. I suppose you don't need a sense of humor with a pretty face. The only trouble is, though, Missy, if you should lose the face. Please don't hurt my baby. What do you want from me? Don't change the subject. Oh, that's was... right there. Ah! Ah, I hate them. Old lady. Stand back. Stay back. Woman. Stay back. And her and Jesse and Sprague jump in the car. Oh, no, they, they, yeah, they jump in the car and they leave. Right. And all of a sudden, the car kind of breaks down, and the the, the camera well, pans because, around to the front of it, and you see like a yeah. big chunk of steel sticking out of the well, radiator. That's because Aunt May tells her just ran through the gate. Oh, that's right. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what it was then, because I always thought that it was just one of the gang members stuck a something in the radiator. Right. But you might, which we both know, be right, could definitely be the case. But I remember yeah. thinking 
why not open the gate, you know, and they rammed it. That couldn't be good for the front end of that car because it does yeah. damage that grill and everything. Yeah. So so Max and Benno are making their way back to the front because they, they can't find Jesse or, you know, anybody anywhere. The car is stalled in the middle of the road, and Jesse and Sprague decide to try to run for it. And they, she jumps out of the car, grabs the kid, and starts running down the road. And here comes the gang. This is a this is a horrible scene. And George Miller did an amazing job. He George Miller's magic is implied violence. You know, he rarely do you actually see the actual thing that happens. You know, like with with a goose. You know, um, being burned and in the hospital. Everything's implied. And so. Jesse and Sprague are hightailing it down the down the thing. The, the the bikers are coming up behind them, and all you see is a biker's hand th- throw down on the throttle. And you just hear that, and you see the bikers go forward, and you see a ball and a shoe fall and bounce on the ground. And then all of a sudden, you see Max pull up, and he jumps out of the car, and he's literally like a couple hundred yards still down the road. He just stops, jumps out of his car, throws his shotgun down, and just starts hightailing it. And he uh, he kneels down next, next to Jesse, and you can just very faintly kind of hear him screaming in agony. You know, no! What did you think about this scene of of them taking out his wife and son? I think more than anything else, this is what shocked me the most about the movie because some part of me felt like everything was going to be okay. Like Max was just going to get him. And I was somewhat baffled when they decided to hop out of the car and run for it. I, you know, not in that situation. Who knows what the best call is, but you're with Aunt May who has a shotgun. I would have stayed with her, you know, defend me, shoot them away. It worked the first time, but when they isolated themselves down the road, you know, Aunt May, she got out and she stood behind the car and she acted like she was going to shoot them. And I'm like, you're not going to be able to shoot all the bikers coming at you. But sure enough, they go around. And I love that what you mentioned about the way the director implies it, because you're right. You don't see anything, but you feel like you do. And your heart sinks so deeply. And I think if I'm not mistaken, everything you described was perfect. In addition to that, I think we see Aunt May's reaction, and it does that same thing it did like earlier when we saw Max have a reaction to Goose. We see her horrified face over them basically getting run over. Right, exactly. And now we know why. why now we know why Max is mad. Yeah. This is it right here. He's just he lost his best friend, he lost his wife, and he just now lost his yeah his wife and son. And yeah. so. That's it. It, I mean, it launches what I thought we were going to get earlier, Evan, where I thought Goose's demise was going to make him the crazy revenge and leave it to me to be shocked to say, you know, even worse, you take his family from him. Like Goose was family to him, sure, but he took his wife and his child. And my immediate thing, it clicked. It was like a light bulb in my head. And I was thinking, with a man who has nothing left to lose, like, what's there to fear now? Right. Exactly. Yep. So next scene, we're at the hospital, and Max is standing outside the door, and the two doctors and the nurse are sitting in there, and they're kind of discussing, you know, what to do with the with with the wife with Jesse. Basically, Jesse has still has parts that are salvageable, you know, like she's a 
car. I mean, they're they're when, when they're talking about it, it's just so. Um, yeah, she's got this wrong and this wrong, but you know we can salvage this, this, and this. You know, and and the guy's like, well, what do I tell him? And you know, t- t- tell him she's going to be okay. You know, <laughs> he's yeah. like, what? How do you? <laughs> and um, and he's just standing there, staring off into space. You know, right outside in the hallway next. But to he's the hearing room. it, man. Oh yeah, he's hearing this. He knows exactly. She's not coming back. You know, she's dead. And uh, you know, the sun and the sun Sprague didn't make it either. Uh, so. We get to Max back at home, and he's just sitting here. You know, he's got this this rubber mask that he's just twisting and twisting. Did you recognize that mask? Um, I know what it is, but I don't know what it is. Like, if if I had to draw it for you, I could. But what did it represent? It's, it's one of those. I, it's like one of those Don Post masks of. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, what's his name from Plan Nine or from uh, Bride of the Monster? Uh, Tor Johnson. It's they're, they're, uh, back in the I don't know seventies eighties. Don Post was a famous. They had these Don Post masks, these rubber latex masks, and one of them was of Tor Johnson's character from uh, Bride of the Monster and Night of the Ghouls. I think those are that the makes sense for I, the time period of this movie being yeah. late seventies when it came out. These yeah. masks were deep in production. Yeah, yeah. He's just trying to make sense of it all, and he just. And he just loses it. He goes back into the house, like runs into the house and opens up his, you know, chest. And there's his, there's his leathers, his leathers, his guns and his gear. And he gears up and he ends up, um, heading back to, to MHP steals the interceptor and hits the road. And, uh, first stop, is that grease rat garage and mechanics working under the car and Max comes in and you can just tell right off the bat. I mean, he's all leathered up and I mean, there is no emotion on his face. He just comes in and the grease rats underneath the car and he takes the jack stand and he kind of gives it a little twist to let the car down. And, uh, Oh no, he put, he put uh, grease rats on one of those, um, oh, what do you call them? The little rollers that you roll under a car with. We'll call it a roller roller <laughs> pulls him out says basically asking him where's toe cutter and his gang never heard of him and then <laughs> max kind of not i think he like pushes him back into the car and the <sighs> grease rat's head hits the frame ow you know and and then that's when max starts letting the jack stand down and uh finds out where where toe cutter's gang is so he, effective man yeah. just those small ways of torture so yeah. bad <laughs> yep and then you just see you kind of you're you're seeing scenes of toe cutter and his gang um, just kind of doing gang things, you know, they're stealing gas from gas tankers. And we get to the point where, uh, we get to see Max and, and his black on black start to take down toe cutters gang. And the first up is, is the group that were stealing the gas. And, um, did you know that, uh, did you, do you remember that scene where Johnny breaks into that highway emergency call box, that yellow call box with the phone? It was, no. it was pretty quick. It, that was the very first scene um, of the movie that was shot, but it's not. Oh, okay. until, you know, here we're getting to the end game, you know, and so I always, right. I'm always kind of fascinated how they shoot scenes. You know, they'll shoot the first scene oh. of the movie, like, but not, or they'll shoot a scene of the movie that appears in the end of the movie, but they that's like the first scene they shoot. I've never understood right. that whole thing, but I'm not a filmmaker, so. <laughs> 
and then we we get to where Tollcutter and and Bubba are. Tollcutter grabs his helmet, and these two pictures fall out. And one of picture is of Goose, and the other one is of Jesse and his son. And Tollcutter, I'm sure at that point realizes, oh shit. Yeah. You know, Max is cruising down the highway and he comes across a motorcycle that's crashed off the side of the road, gets out of his car <clears throat> to investigate it and is kneecapped by Bubba Zanetti and falls, <laughs> falls to the, to the asphalt as he's laying there on the asphalt, Bubba and toe cutter, run him down, run over his arm. And dude, that scene right there was so brutal. Um, yeah. it hurts to see Max get hit like that, but this was a scene where we actually saw it. Um, or at least the, if we didn't, it made me feel like I didn't. I know that's a running thing we keep talking about, but right. just to see him get shot, I feel like you see the blood come out and he mm-hmm. just goes down hard. And yeah. the knee is such a, don't, don't mess with that area. You know, it's such a <laughs> fragile spot. Like my knee hurts just thinking about it. And then knowing what's coming with the motorcycle gang, they're just trying to end his life, dude. And it's not going to be a fast process. No, no. And you know, Mel Gibson is, a master. I don't know of anybody who's better. Maybe Harrison Ford, but Mel Gibson is a master at like being hurt, at acting hurt. Mm-hmm. You know where he just, you know, when he when after he gets, you know, he gets his knee blown away. You know, just watching him trying to get back up on his other leg and the way he's dragging that leg that got shot. It's just, yeah, uh, just amazing. We pray that's not method acting. Really, right. should be there. Yeah, I mean, you wonder did someone just like literally take a hammer to here? We're gonna, we got to make this real. Smack right. me with a hammer. Well, um, knowing what we know of Mel Gibson, he might have just been that crazy. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I'm gonna smash my knee for real, and I'm gonna limp this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, Max ends up blowing. You know, Bubba's charging down on him with his bike, and Max blows him away with his shotgun. His famous. Uh, double barrel shotgun max gets back in his car and and proceeds to chase down the toe cutter and finally is able to 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 meet up with the toe cutter and the result of the chase is the toe cutter hitting a semi truck face on just Oof. full on i don't know if you noticed um but the front of that semi truck was actually painted plywood because the 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 truck owner didn't want his, I mean George Miller was was you know paying cast members and crew members with beer you know I mean yeah. he, he was just getting anything he could from from anybody you know hey can we borrow your truck yeah sure okay well we're gonna crash a motorcycle into it oh well hold on a second you know <laughs> can, can we can we do something to maybe not destroy my truck and so they have this painted plywood on the fr- you know that looks like the front end of the truck. Um, right. Well, it happens so fast. It's a it's a genius idea too because he, if you hadn't mentioned it, I wouldn't have caught it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I didn't know about that until you know way later. I, I never noticed it when I when I when I watched it. Whenever um, toe cutter hits that eighteen wheeler, like not only does it just like you. Wow, that scene just happened. But uh, I love that they revisit the scene with Knight Rider in an essence where when both of those guys mm-hmm. died. They had like these bulging eyes. Yeah, their eyes like bugged out, bugged out. Yeah, it's cool. And I'm not sure, you know, because George Miller had worked as a, oh shoot, what do you call it? Uh, you know, ambulance like special effects. No, he was a he worked in hospital. He worked in with um, car crashes and you know all these sorts of violent things that happen to the human body. 
And so I don't know, uh, you know, he has, I don't know if he has a medical degree or anything like that, but he has a lot of experience with things that happen to humans. Well, no wonder it looks so good in this movie. Yeah. And so I don't know if when something like that happens, if your eyes do physically like bug out of your head, I don't know. I have no idea. But it it does add to the, you know, holy shit moment, you know. Yeah. Um, Can I call something out that stood out to me? Um, on the most recent watch for this that I didn't really think about ever. Hmm. I keep referencing back to the beginning of the film where you meet Mad Max for the first time. You can tell he's the head honcho and he's the one essentially that has to destroy the confidence of Knight Rider and he causes the Knight Rider to crash. But his reaction when it does is you could tell like his intention was not to kill Knight Rider, but to disable him, right? To prevent him from getting away because he is astounded at what happened. Where in this scene, it's a similar sequence and the toe cutter, you know, Mad Max sees this guy die. And like you said, the emotion is just not there. Yeah. I'm fairly certain that max is out to kill these guys yeah you know he, he's not out to bring them to justice he's okay because he's on the run now from the mhp the mhp you know he just stole their prized car right and and i think that's why he at the end um well we'll talk about it again but um yeah oh and did you know this was the only stunt that hugh keys burn did not do himself was crashing into the into the truck i will say i can understand why but i'm also impressed that he did the other ones that's cool yeah yeah he's a badass he's a badass man i believe he can really ride a motorcycle yeah (laughs) um so all we got is one left who is it oh it's that annoying johnny boy johnny the boy so max is driving through the night pursuing his prey and do you think he knows where he's going i mean how would you even no um it's like everybody's been going this way so he just continues to go that way but yeah we keep explaining how emotionless max's character is it's like he's just staring off into space the yeah. whole time but like it's like a radar goes off and he just senses where these guys are though yeah yeah it, it's just he's kind of just driving until he finds these guys you know well, eventually, fate or just dumb luck brings Max to a set of skid marks leading off of the road and an abandoned motorcycle close by. And uh, Max sees this overturned ute. And I love saying that word, ute. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and, Johnny, and Johnny is dragging this dead body over to it. And um, Johnny remo- starts removing the driver's boots and kind of hears something behind him and sees Max standing there with a sawed off on his, in his hand. And, um, you know, Johnny's sitting there going, this isn't what it looks like. And, and he attempts to kind of rationalize to Max what he's doing. And Max, I mean, it, it, it's just <laughs> having none of it not, and not even saying anything. And, you know, the driver's dead and doesn't need his boots anymore, right? But, you know, so Max notices this broken fuel line with uh, gas, gasoline pouring out of it. And uh, you can see he's starting to think now and he sees this. Here, here's his opportunity to to avenge his friend and the goose and um, damn near in the same way. Yeah, he he throws a pair of handcuffs at Johnny and says ankle. That's all he said. Uh, you know, Max is now down to one one or two syllable words at the most. There are no <laughs> compound predicates in his in his language anymore. There are no you know, it's just. <laughs> 
ankle. And it's at this point that we, yeah, you, you know, we first start seeing this abbreviated speech of Max that that you will now start seeing, you know, when you see the Road Warrior and and the others. Uh, uh, Johnny puts the cuffs on his ankle and and Max drags him to the wrecked Ute. And you can, I mean, he actually dragged him. He he grabs him by yeah. the by the cuff chain, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Just drags him, and that's gotta yeah, hurt, dude. man. And I remember the actor that played Johnny the Boy. He said his the roof of his mouth was absolutely shredded after doing that scene with Toe Cutter, where Toe Cutter shoved a shotgun in his mouth. Oh yeah. And I imagine his ankle, his ankles were probably, or his ankle was probably Shattered. yeah messed up pretty good too. Oh, did you know that Tim Burns, the guy that plays Johnny the Boy, co-wrote an American Werewolf in Paris? What? Yeah. A little bit of tidbit there. Little, That's little, interesting. Little, yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So Johnny is desperately trying to talk himself out of the situation, and he's trying to rationalize, you know, I'm messed up. I'm, 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 I'm what was the word he used? I can't remember. Um, he, oh, he said, I'm he, sick. Yeah, he's sick. I'm mentally ill. And uh, as though he's not responsible, you know, for his actions. And, sure. you know, they, they, he can somehow use that as an excuse to not be accountable. And Max totally ignores him. And continues working on this thing that's involving gasoline and a broken headlight and a lighter. And Johnny realizes this, that this isn't going to end up well. And, you know, he screams, Jesus, you can't kill me for stealing a man's boots. And, <laughs> you know, Max is, you know, he finishes what he was working on where, you know, this, this broken headlight is going to fill up with the gasoline. And then when it spills over, it'll be ignited by the lighter. And he tells Johnny that, you know, I, I love this line, you know, yes. the chain in those handcuffs is high tensile steel. It'll take you 10 minutes to hack through it with this. And he holds up the hacksaw. He says, now if you're lucky, you can hack through your ankle in five minutes. And he throws the hacksaw down and Johnny just starts laughing maniacally. Just ha 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 ha. You must think I look silly, you know? <laughs> and Max just walks away and gets in his car and kind of drives off. And after a few minutes down the road, we just see this explosion in the distance, you know, through the back window of the interceptor. And there's just, there's zero expression on Max's face. He doesn't even look in the mirror. Right. You know, I mean, he had to have heard the explosion. And I mean, does he even care? I, to be honest, I don't think he cares. It just, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And, you know, the film just ends with Max driving off into the wasteland. The chain in those handcuffs is high tensile steel. It'll take you ten minutes to hack through it with this. Now, if you're lucky, you can hack through your ankle in five minutes. Go.
Yeah, man. It's such a powerful scene, too, because he, you know, in the end, Max kills everybody that did him wrong. We saw some guys get pushed off the bridge and this and the other. But Hello, Saul, for anybody who's seen the horror movies of Saul, I thought that was the first time where we introduced the, you know, don't cut to the chains, cut through your ankles. No, man, here we were, Mad Max in the 70s. It was done here first. Um, But just it makes you wonder if he thought, and we know he didn't care, but if he thought Johnny Boy would do it, because either way, dude, I, call me crazy, but that car blew up in two minutes or less, like because he was still in view of it. He, what if Johnny Boy had decided to start cutting? He would have tortured himself and then just died right away anyway. Like, oh, I almost had it. Boom. <laughs> well, and you know, Max might have known that. You know, uh, and I'm sure he and, did. I think that's the character he is now. Yeah. yeah. So watching this first movie... Um, I'm really excited for you to watch the the next films, and yeah. but you you kind of you have the advantage of knowing where Max came from before you have seen where Max ends up. You know what I mean, right? And so, what do, what do you think? I mean, I you totally get this character now. You get why I get this Mad character. Max. I have no idea where the story's going. Like, I've not done any research. I've read nothing. I've heard from everybody that the road warrior is better. That's all I've ever heard. It's like, they love the road warrior. They swear oh, yeah. by it. They're like, they love it. Yep. And no doubt in my mind, if the world is saying that, then it probably is. But this movie, if it had never been a franchise, just a standalone movie, like this is a powerful and painful film, right? It, it yeah. packs a serious punch emotionally. It's the anarchy is kind of through the roof in this movie. And I remember, the progression of the movie kind of led me in a, in a way where I wasn't sure where we were going to go. I wasn't sure what we were going to get. And it just, it kind of blew my mind. And so first off, just as a first time watch for me, I just want to say, I recommend it. Uh, if, if there's another soul out there like me who hadn't seen it, it's on Netflix. Now there's no reason not to watch this movie. I hope this podcast makes you want to watch this movie, but I find it interesting how you watched it where you saw road warrior first. And so in a, in a, some sort of sense, it's like, you saw this as a prequel, right? It's kind of like the life you didn't get to see. Mm -hmm. And now I'm watching it sequentially and it's all up from here. Right. But I'm really excited to see the kind of monotone character that he's become, as you've alluded to, to Mm -hmm. see how much that stays and to what other challenges he's going to face. Right. Yeah. And, I think you're really going to, and you know, when I asked you to watch this, I, I knew that I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, Dave, he, he'll probably like it enough, you know, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be one of his top 10, Sure. but I think when you watch the road warrior, oh shit, this is awesome <laughs> because the road warrior was, and kind of still continues to be um, the standard by which all post-apocalyptic films are made. When after that came out, I mean, there were a few that came out here and there, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But after The Road Warrior, now you had like literally dozens of of copies, of copycats, trying sure. to capture that same, you know, leather-clad, badass car, you know, motorcycle gangs and all this stuff. And they all absolutely paled in comparison they're fun right. and I love them for what they are. They're just, you know, they're terrible. I kind of looking at it from my point of view, I know you're going to understand exactly what I'm about to say. 
in my opinion, especially I've not seen the other two movies yet, I see it as like a Star Wars kind of similarity where it seems like everybody I've ever talked to says they love Empire Strikes Back more than A New Hope. But you have to have A New Hope to get to the point of Empire Strikes Back right. because if not, there's just a lot of um, not, not only information, but just the meat of the story is missing. Right. And so now when you watch Mad Max, you know where he's coming from. You kind of see the way he went from character A to character B. And then now you can just see where character B takes you on this journey. Right. And so I'm excited to see where the movie goes from here. And I'm going to hope that what everybody's saying true. And uh, I'm looking forward to some more chaos. <laughs> oh, you're going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, yeah. And colorful characters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, when we start getting to, and every film is different, you know, when we get the Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, um, I absolutely love that movie. Good. It's not so universally loved as, as I would like, but Hey, who am I? I, You know, well, but you know when you set the standard as you mentioned like road warrior people right. are going to be expecting a road warrior too and that's what i love so much about a lot of these filmmakers when they do some of these trilogies and whatnot is you can't make the same movie three times no. and so they set out to go in a different direction yeah. and i'm excited to know that the third one isn't as beloved as the second one to see how i feel about it yeah. so. and it is like i said it's just completely different it has a completely different, different feel okay. um and when we eventually get to that point um, it'll be interesting to talk to you about it and and talk about why it has a different feel because there are reasons that it has a very different feel. But anyway, that's 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 for a later time. Um, right now, I would like to go over again um, what you do and how people can find you. And uh, so, please tell us. Yeah, man. Well, again, thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited to get to watch Mad Max for the right reason, to come talk with you about it, my dear friend. Um, But if people want to know more about what I'm doing, my main place is Twitter. You can find me. My handle is at Dave underscore Phantom. You can check out the SIP network. You know, it's a SIP.us. And essentially, man, I just been podcasting for a really long time and I always have so many projects going. And so, if anybody's familiar with the Terrible Terror podcast, then they know that I'm also featured on that feed. I do a secondary podcast for Brian called The Podcast from Another World, where I take a look at just B-horror and classic sci-fi and a few little crazy things thrown in. At this point in time, I will announce that Andy and I, who some people might remember Andy because he was on the Black Cat Shadow podcast, we're joining forces again. We're going to be doing a monthly just kind of modern day horror podcast, like a general chat, all things horror. Maybe we'll do Halloween talk, maybe Halloween candy. Who knows? We'll see where it goes. But you can find Andy at Black Cat, Black Cat Pod. But um, the other thing I got to say is, uh, I mentioned this once before, and, it, and it's modeled after my own heart. I'm so excited. Is um, <laughs> A lot of people are going to call me crazy, but uh, my girl and I are launching a 24-7 Christmas podcast. And so if you want to know more about it, I love Christmas. It will say it right there on my Twitter handle. To me, Christmas could be every day. And I know on one side of the spectrum, some people say you should only do Christmas the two weeks of Christmas. And I fully respect that. Just know on the opposite side of the spectrum, there's some people that are Christmas in July. And that is definitely me and my girl and I, we have such a a dynamic connection, which we'll explain uh, on the podcast of what Christmas is. So if you love Christmas movies, anything from, um, and I want to say too, it's going to be a, a, 
a family friendly thing is going to be Christian based. Um, it's just going to be Christmas classics, uh, some of the musicals, some of the, you know, wonderful life, and then maybe some of the Hallmark stuff mixed in as well, because we love all that stuff, which you're not going to get, you're not going to get horror or anything like that. I'm separating everything I do for that one podcast. So yes, I'm affiliated with a lot of podcasting, but the simple place to find me is at Twitter at Dave underscore phantom if you want to talk movies strike up a conversation awesome <clears throat> well i really appreciate you coming on here dave and i also wanted to thank you for um i was you know a longtime listener of your dave's pop culture podcast <laughs> and when you like you know people know that when you decided to stop that it broke my heart but you created a new one um podcast from another world and i'm loving that one so i'm I'm liking how you're you're still going to be doing things and you're going to be doing different things and I I've listened to every episode that you've done and I and I and I've told you this before you might talk about a movie or you might talk about you know whatever that isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse but listening to how passionate you are and how much you love the thing you're talking about is what makes me listen to your podcast cuz your podcasts are fun and they're informative and you you care deeply about what you're talking about and you have cool guests i just i hope you keep going forever dude you know, I appreciate you, man, not only as a listener, but as a friend. And uh, just to piggyback off what you said, I just want to let the world know, too. That's one thing. you're It's a guarantee with me. If I do an episode, it's because I love it, not hate it. I will not trash talk things. So if, you know, you see Mad Max, uh, Evan and Dave are going to do it. It's because we like Mad Max. When you see Road Warrior, it's because we both like it. If you see Evan come onto my show, it's because we're both passionate about it. And towards the end of this year, as a Christmas gift to the world, Evan and I are going to get together on the podcast from another world. And we're going to talk about a movie that we love so much that I'd like to think more of the world loves than, than they admit. Um, but it's definitely one of my just favorite uh, sci-fi movies ever. And, and Evan, you're my friend, but you're dude, you're like my sci-fi correspondent. Like if you tell me to watch a movie and it's a sci-fi movie, I'm going to watch it. Cause I know how passionate you are about sci-fi. And so everybody can look forward to seeing you come on my podcast. When we talk about 1979 classic star Trek, the motion picture. Can't wait. I am so pumped to talk about that. So many memories of it, man. Yeah. I'm so stoked. And only three or four years in the making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do it. All right, buddy. Till next time. Take cover and take care, man. You too. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to check out my guests' links in the show notes. And please take a look at their work. You won't be disappointed. From the Waste is a nonprofit podcast. It is in no way endorsed by the creators of the media used within, nor is it intended to undermine or compete with any existing or forthcoming material. No copyright infringement is intended. From the Waste is part of the Slightly Irregular Podcast Network. Please visit sipnet.us, that's S-I-P-N-E-T dot U-S, to find this podcast and other fine podcasts, including The Angry Dad Podcast, Dead Hand Radio, The Terrible Terror Podcast, Fave Five from Fans, The Podcast from Another World, Back in Time Podcast, and the Paranormal Pativity Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, although I spend 99% of my time on Twitter. 
This podcast can be found at fromthewastes.podbean.com and on most podcatchers out there. Just look for From the Wastes and you'll find me. My WordPress blog is at fromthewastes11811.wordpress.com and my Last Librarian blog is at thelastlibrarian.wordpress.com. If you're so inclined to shoot me an email, send it to fromthewastes at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take cover and take care. <laughs>